Oh yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. Today's show is sponsored by Ringmaster on a mission to launch B2B podcasts that create relationships, generate revenue, and drive growth. Ringmasterlive.com. Bam. We go. I've hit the button. We cannot turn back. We must move forward. There is, this is a one-way tour of the Magic Factory, and I can't wait to introduce my guest today. He is an absolute badass. He is a tour de force, a global tour de force, a global leader and marketing thought leader and advisor to the stars. He executes multi-product, multi-geo, global GTM strategies. He's been a speaker at multiple conferences, including one on AI, global head of market strategy at Kariba. Bob Stark, welcome, sir. Casey, how you doing? Man, how did we get you? How 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 are you on this show, man? You are like everywhere you're doing all the things. I don't have time for everything. There's a simple answer to that because you're an email master and you found a way <laughs> to say, no, no, you're going to make sure you answer this email. You're going to get on my calendar. I love it. I'm glad you did. But it's actually a good marketing lesson to all those out there. It's like, get good at email know that yeah. people are reading it, but they don't necessarily respond. doesn't mean they don't love you. It just means they haven't actually found the moment to get back to you. So, totally. And personal know. too, right? None of this, none of this, you know, in, let's invite 3000 people. And, you know, I know it's very targeted. Like I want to talk to Bob. I want to get this thing going. And with that, I need to stop talking and pass you this thing. It's heavy though, but I'm pretty sure you got this. So, ugh. okay. Oh my God. Goodness. Right. What, that's Go ahead. Awesome. I'm going to pass you Thor's hammer here. Go ahead. Grab that. I want grab that. The... Oh my goodness. You got it? Uh, uh, I do okay. have it. That's, I actually really want one of those. We got to talk about that after. We'll talk about that. We'll, yeah, this is the original. So this is the actual Thor's hammer, which you just grabbed. So take Thor's hammer and smash for me some kind of marketing myth, a bogus strategy, set the record straight once and for all. I only get one though. That's that seems unfair. Oh, you can keep smashing, man. Take that hammer, just keep you know. All right, we can have a little fun with this. All right, yeah. I'll turn it. So there's actually a couple different ways to go with it. Here's one that I find is super interesting. Anyone marketing gets this, and we'll go. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's me. Is let's let marketing just fix this up a little bit. Let's get marketing on this to make it look better. That's one myth that I think. I mean, yes. We can do that. We have the creative directors in our team, but that's not what we do. Yeah. This is not the value of marketing. It's just like, it's not just lead generation. It's not just branding. Marketing is so many different things. And that's the one where someone, and, and gosh knows there's a lot of someones that do that. They'll, they'll send you a fact sheet. Like, can you just make this look better? I just need to send <laughs> it out. Just tweak it a little bit. And you look at it and you're like, that is the worst thing I've ever seen in the history of things. We're not just going to touch that up. We need to really figure out what the heck you're doing there. So yeah, because it's probably not just the graphics that need some help, right? It's probably it's never what the, what the hell the using a tagline from the '60s that we don't even yeah. sell that anymore. It's you look at it, and you go, "Why would you say that? <laughs> Why? Who would read this? Like, who's you know? Anyway, we this can go on and on, but it, to, it's half as often as it used to. No, 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 no. Oh, oh, it, so it's one of those things where it's like, what is the role of marketing? It's so yeah. misunderstood. There's so many things that marketing, I would venture to say, like I've been this for a couple of decades now. 
Just a little what bit. What marketing used to be was still way more than what most people give it credit for. And it's one of those areas where until you can actually get really good at proving the value, you know, what does a dollar in marketing actually achieve? That's when you can start to open people up. Like that's when you get buddies with the CFO. That's when the CEO starts paying attention and go, wait a second. It's more than just writing content. It's more than just a pretty website. It's actually a way to drive ROI and grow the business. That's that transition point. A lot of organizations don't get there, but, but I've seen it happen a few different times and it's magical what it does. But yeah, when I'm using your Thor hammer, don't just expect that marketing is going to pretty it up. We got, I mean, we have people that can do that, but man, they can do a lot more to make it way, way, way better. Yeah. We could spend, we could spend our time making it pretty, or we could, I don't know, bring you 20 more customers. So, or 200 or 2,000. Or 200,000. I mean, I mean, there's different magnitudes. Obviously, the business I'm in, we, we get exposure to. Yeah, these were, uh, these were 20 more billion dollar customers. There we go. There we go. Well, there you go. That's, that's start talking <laughs> the interesting language. Yeah. <laughs> so where does this come from? What's the origin story of this supervillain of pretty it up and, and not even understanding what marketing is all about? And this is not new. Marketing is not, it's not like Chad GPT just came around the corner. We're like, what's that? It's like, no, we've been doing marketing for a bit. You know what I think it is, is that there's most organizations and you think of, you know, CEO, CRO, and I, and I work with some fantastic individuals in those roles. We'll, you'll get it. So I'm, I've been in different organizations where maybe that wasn't always the case. Just want to be very specific about that for my boss who might be listening. No, you're hey, amazing. Shout out best boss award. <laughs> always, always. No, they really are because they get that. But in what I've seen so many times is that they have no visibility into what marketing actually accomplishes. So if you think of like, what's the visibility of marketing typically in an organization? Like when you think, oh, marketing was responsible for that. It's like, it's social media. But even then they might not even realize that's who's writing it. It's press release. It's the website. It's going to be, you know, the fact sheet or the brochure or the ebook or white paper, whatever have you, that is being sent to people. Oftentimes what I find is that the questions come back and it's like, oh, they're doing that. You know, our competitor's doing this. We need to own this. And the answer is, yeah, that's where a competitor got the idea from. They freaking copied us. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so it's that that sort of, it's that missing understanding of there's such a, maybe the way I'll say it, there's such an opportunity to educate your leadership on what marketing provides to put them in the best possible position. Like your CEO, your chairman, your, you know, your C-suite, they know what the product does. I mean, maybe it's not every single detail or maybe it is. In my case, uh, at my organization, it is. Like your CEO is amazing. He understands like literally every facet of every part of the business, but not everyone does. And there's an opportunity to educate them. And you have to be doing that stuff. You don't do that stuff how are they going to figure it out? They're going to judge you based on the press release. They're going to judge based on, hey, I Google, you know, our main search terms and I don't find you on page one. What the hell's wrong with you? You know, it's those sorts of optics that are very, very incomplete pictures. So I think that's where it comes from. When you say, okay, well, marketing can touch this up. Yeah, you know, I'll definitely have some graphic artists that can 
absolutely touch it up. And they'll do if that if that's all you ask of them. But how about look at the entire team and go, we need this to be a piece of performing content that A, gets attention and engagement at the top level of the funnel, actually converts. So people look at that and go, yeah, I'm actually going to go visit your website or I'm going to go look on Glassdoor or not Glassdoor, for that example, uh, like TrustRadius, something like that to start doing some diligence. You're going to go talk to Gartner to figure out who you are and if you are as good as you say you are. Starting that whole journey, depending on who you're talking to, that's really what you want marketing to be doing and not just making it, you know, a nice use of our brand's colors. Now, I know you've got the dream set up where you're at now. Uh, let's say you didn't. And the question I have for you is, can you teach the board and, and, and the leadership the right way to view marketing? Or, or is that something you just acquire when you are picking where the next place is to go? Well, that's a good question. I, there's two answers to that. I think the first answer is you, your ideal setup is where the board and the CEO, which is the two most important influencers, everyone else is really important too. Hi, CFO. <laughs> but, <laughs> Hello. But, but realistically, what you're trying to do is you're trying to find someone that gets it coming in so that they can recognize what the problem is. You know, you're going into, and I've gone into this too, where you go into some sort of interview or discussion, or let's just have a chat about the strategy of our organization. Yeah. And they're like, our website's fucked. Well, that's great. That's a wonderful observation. It probably is. But <laughs> let's be honest about this. Is that really the driving problem? Or is there something else? That's the kind of stuff that gets me a little bit nervous. And, and I think everyone should look as a red flag is that what do you think marketing does? Do you think it just makes a website? And it goes back to the point we were talking about before. And if that's the case, well, great. Then that's what you're going to be doing when you join that organization. You're going to be fixing the website. So make sure you have a great webmaster that can actually you know, code a little <laughs> bit in WordPress. Otherwise, you're going to have a really tough go. And you're going to have your CEO writing content for you uh, on, you know, you're basically your homepage and your hero and your H1s. You don't want that kind of stuff happening. No. You want them to go, we understand that there's an opportunity for marketing to influence this. And here's where we like our business to go. Here's what we value marketing's contribution in that. Now, that's an ideal setup. Right. That's, you know, those unicorns exist here and there, but in reality, you do have to educate them. Yes, they can be taught. And that's the board that can be taught because they want to be taught. They want to hear. They don't want to just be, you know, no one wants to give orders to their CMO. Like that's not a good place. No. <laughs> they they want to be hearing. That's a great that. point. Yeah. Like, <laughs> because what those orders are going to be is it's going to sound like, make this look pretty. I want a press release right. that says that we're amazing, that media is going to pick up. So I want Bloomberg and Reuters to write about, hey, we just, you know, announced that we're amazing. Please tell everybody this. You know, I want a beautiful website that I don't know what it really does except look beautiful. You're right. That's and then tell not, everyone about how beautiful it is. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I want to be able to show my friends, look how beautiful our website is. All customer Obviously. email. Come look at our <laughs> website for no other reason just to see how pretty it is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's 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 some tongue in cheek, but we both know there's some reality built within that. Sure. It is very, it's a very teachable moment, but a lot of things, especially these days, it has to be very data oriented. 
So you can go into a situation like for me, I'm more of a content person than lead generation. It's not like I don't have respect for both sides, but I definitely, I lean into the fact that content can open a lot of doors and being very focused on thought leadership can drive a heck of a lot of top of funnel engagement, which if you set it up right and do the right things and have the right trajectory, you can actually create a lot of conversion off of that by having a following, some advocacy, all that sort of stuff. It still has to be data oriented. I can't walk into, you know, board meeting and say, we have the best thought leadership in the world. That's wonderful. So what? Right. <laughs> what does that matter? Tell me something that, can, that actually means something in terms of their end result, which was increasing bookings by this, increasing EBITDA by this, increasing customers, reducing churn. Pick your favorite KPIs. And I do have some favorites. But you have to be able to tie it to that. And, and they want to hear that. Everyone wants to hear that. The CFO, who I think is one of the biggest allies in marketing, CEO and the board all want to hear different perspectives, different points of view, but they all want to understand, show me the value of marketing through data that I understand. So show me the value potentially with some of those KPIs. You mentioned you had some favorites, a few of your favorite things. What would you say? You have some... Some absolute favorite KPIs that you... You know, my, one of my favorite... I do have some favorite KPIs. I also have some little micro numbers as well that I think I get yeah. super passionate about. So in terms of KPIs, like my biggest one, I hate CAC. Now, every, everyone who's a you know, PE side, anyone's an investor, anyone that even that CMOs when you're in your group are just going to go, well, wait a second, everyone needs <laughs> to CAC. So how are you going to get... How do you get to navigate around that one? Right. You don't navigate around it, but you have to think of why are we spending what we're spending and what industry and revenue cycle are we in? Like, for example, in my world, like we're basically in corporate finance platforms, specifically with liquidity and treasury. Super fun area. Um, I say that somewhat tongue in cheek. I've lived Nerd. it for 25 years. <laughs> I actually right. love it um, to the right. point that I came back to it. But the reality is, is that it's a, we'll just call it, it's a niche area. Right. It's very, very high switching costs, very high barriers to entry for competitors, and it's high switching costs. You know, it's similar to anyone that's dealing with, say, SAP Oracle in the ERP space or other types of apps that are a bit intensive, not just from a cost, but also from a percentage of people's time to get up and running. Yeah. So in that world of B2B software, we're one of the higher ones in terms of switching costs, which gives us a lot of long-term value. To me... I like to look at the fact of, okay, what are we spending and what's our lifetime value that we actually get there? So LTV CAC is one that I really like in certain spaces. Now, again, I live in software and I live specifically in B2B uh, applications. So I am going to lean towards that. There's going to be some, you know, there are listeners that go, well, I don't care about that whatsoever. I actually purely care about CAC. In fact, I'm, there's a reason that we need to refine that and get that down. Sure. Like we're all in an EBITDA world now, you know, the, the days of you know, multiples of revenue, unabated, you know, unbridled spending, doesn't matter if we make money. I mean, maybe they'll happen again. I doubt it, but maybe they'll happen again. But right now we're in an EBITDA world where your valuation is a multiple of your EBITDA. So you have to be cash centric and you have to be focused on how much you're spending, but there's a means to an end. And if you're investing a heck of a lot in sales because that three-year contract turns into a 10-year relationship most of the time, then yeah, you want to be a little upfront spending to get that initial engagement 
which converts into pipeline, which secures that client. So I love LTV Kiak. Love it, love it, love it. I also it's like a, net promoter scores. Oh, Sorry, before we get I to net promoter score, yeah, let's definitely talk about that. But it, it's the ratio of lifetime value and customer acquisition. It's not just looking at one of these in isolation, right? Because- Oh, hey, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Excellent yeah. point. Yeah, yeah. No, you're dead on right on that. It is, for me, uh, I say it's division. Yeah. <laughs> it's the ratio of LTV GAC. It's not minus, it's not plus, it's not exponential. No, we're just purely talking about the simple divide. Um, because- I understand that these apps, I mean, it, I've, I've been faced at with some of the more like payroll ones that's tied into healthcare. And it's like, and then when you have reps reach out, Hey, change this real quick. It's like, this is like, this is a six month year long process to even decide if it's even worth it. This is a pain in the ass. Like I'm just not going to change lightly. Yeah. So if I do pick something, I'm going to be there for a while. It makes sense to have a higher cost of acquisition. If you, if you need to, because you're going to have these people for such a long time versus some churn and burn, smaller B2B, you know, tiny SaaS app that you can switch over in, in a second, right? So it's, it's smart hearing you talk about, let's look at the overall context here because you don't want to be comparing yourself to some other app, right? You go meet someone at a conference and, you know, and, and their, their, their CAC is like, you know, $4 and yours is like, say it's 400, right? So it's like, yeah, but it's a completely different context. Oh, it is. It is. And that's that background is everything. And so that's why I say when I'm saying it, when I look at uh, the comparables, like they really do have to line up. Like even if you think of what market are you in? And I'm speaking very, you know, sort of B2B buyer. But are you looking at enterprise level buyers? Like if you're looking at organizations that are one billion and above, you have an element of stickiness there that is a heck of a lot different than organizations that are 100 million. And that's whether it's we're talking the states, we're talking globally, you're going to find those characteristics. Absolutely. You're also looking at just the infiltration. I was going to say stickiness, but I'm going to go with infiltration because that's a good one Um, into the group, like into your users. So if you have, let's just say you have, you know, on average 5,000 users per client using your platform, then you have to think of, yeah, maybe I'm not going to lose that client because I'm so important. But am I going to go down to 4,000 users the moment we hit a recession? So it's that sort of LTV has to be measured in terms of retaining that revenue and the ability to replace that. So we look at things such as forgetting like any upsell, cross-sell that might be able to come into equation. How much of that? Like what is our likelihood of being able to retain that revenue? And then as a separate decision, how can I actually replace that should there be some sort of downturn? Right. And so that's the sort of stuff that I think everyone does, but you need to look at the context of your space. If you don't look at the context of your space, you're going to be comparing against, you know, I'm going to go in there and compare myself against, I don't know, pick your favorite software platform. And it doesn't make sense. Or we're in financial, you know, it's financial software. I can compare myself against the bank. No, but that's where the education comes in and making sure that you're in alignment, like total lockstep with your CFO so that what they're saying is what you're saying are the same thing, as opposed to you going, Hey, have we thought about LTV? And the CFO is like, shut the hell up. We're not talking about that today. You know, like those are not the sorts of things that you want to have happening. Such a great point that their numbers should be the same as your numbers. Quick way to find yourself on, in hot water and a conversation you don't want to have is when 
you're throwing out crazy marketing numbers and they don't line up with the rest of the organization. So I could see why the CFO is a strong point. You mentioned the NPS, getting into net promoter score. I can see how that even ties back into your the importance of that context of your lifetime value. Does it, is that, is that where the tie in comes or, or talk to me about that, the, the MPS side? So there's two things. Yes. The tie in does come there. Um, and, and that's why for a couple of different reasons, but the obvious one is that if they're happy, they're probably going to stay with you. Right. <laughs> so right. You, know, you could argue, well, there's maybe certain variables, like maybe that whole user thing I talked about, maybe we might see 20% of our users go away. Right. Um, but if they are happy, then they will most likely find a way to keep that hole. They're probably not going to be you're the first target when they have to start cutting back budgets. So there's that. But to me, the way more interesting part is actually utilizing our clients and leveraging their happiness, their advocacy, their passion for your business, and being able to parlay that into success with those organizations that aren't doing as much business with you, I do say that intentionally, or they don't haven't had the privilege of being a client of your organization yet at all. Right. And that effect, like you want your clients to be happy because A, they'll stay, B, they'll buy more stuff or encourage others to do it. And then C, there'll be a reference which you need in most places, certainly in B2B, gosh knows you need those, especially as IT gets involved and like, give me like 18 references. And you're like, okay, 18, that's going to be a little harder than just three. And you want to have people proactively doing that. Like the example I'll give anytime that anyone's gone for a job, right? You know, you get picked off on LinkedIn and hey, someone's recruiting you and you know, you feel a little warm and fuzzy about it. If they are targeting you, they've already talked to people that know you. Wow. Like that's happening, right? You think about it and, and the back channel, the backdoor references, like all those things are either in play before they targeted you, or if it was more of a blanket outreach, you know that that's happening next. Like the references you give them, I mean, I do this when I'm hiring people, I don't really worry about the references they gave. I'm looking for the references they didn't give. And I want to know who worked with them. I'm going to find out who in my network has worked with them. And maybe it's one, two, three different degrees of Kevin Bacon separation. But the sure, point sure. is, is that you, that stuff happens. It happens also with your clients and your prospective clients. And you and marketing have to understand that and lean into that. So if there's a customer that needs something, like I'm in marketing. How often does the customer reach me on purpose? Not that often. But when they do, you got to make sure that you're doing your part and not just passing that off because... That's part of the customer experience. That CX drives that net promoter score. It drives their advocacy. It also drives when you have to reach out to them, like, knock, knock, knock. I need a speaker for this presentation. And I'd really like you to join me. And they'll be like, yeah, I remember that time I asked you to help me out and you passed me off to someone that also didn't give a shit. Right. So that's kind of built into it as well. So you need your customers to help build your business. It's really, really important. So I see things like NPS and a couple other different, different metrics there as indicative of you're doing a good job with your customers. They will help you with what you need done. Right. It, it's interesting how much marketing, even if we're behind the scenes in many aspects of the customer's journey, how we can impact that. I just recently I had a, 
pretty terrible experience at a hotel. It was really kind of a fancy anniversary thing. And the hotel could really not care. Like at least that's what they transmitted was like, we really don't care. We hope you have a shitty day. Like we'll see you later. So I just, I, I shared on Twitter a little bit of a, Hey, what's up guys. Your brand is like way up here. That's what I was kind of expecting, you know, for me and the missus and sure enough, Twitter's writing back. Well, that's not good. You know, let's, let's see what we can do to fit, help you out here. Here, you know, here's an email reach out to, and guess what? The email didn't respond. <laughs> and so then I, I, I tweeted again. Hey guys, you know, thanks for the help with the email, but uh, yeah, no one's home. And they're like, Oh, we're so sorry. We'll figure it out. Okay. They'll respond to you. And you know, so I, I, in my mind, I, I saw some marketing function acting as a way to help them recover some points on the MPS because had that exchange not happened, it was, it was getting lower by the, by the moment, you know, and it, and now I know, okay, some, somebody there cares, not everybody service still wasn't that good, but at least, you know, somebody engaged with me. I, I feel like that's sort of marketing, just getting a chance to play ball a little bit. Well, yeah. And I like that you said that. I'm sorry for that experience, by the way. Wasn't <laughs> We've you? all had no hotel experience. <laughs> it wasn't you. Don't apologize. No, no. But I feel for you because I, you know, I got my 10 year anniversary coming up and I'm, I kind of cringe a little bit thinking, oh God, I don't want one of those screw ups. That's good. Um, I mean, horseback riding, massages, all just yeah. a great time until dinner. But all right, yeah, well, I'm, that's, a, that's a story for after the pod. Me. This is the, <laughs> the conversation we're having after this. Yeah, um, exactly. So I'll tell you where not to go, and that, that'll somehow tie into uh, customer acquisition. <laughs> well, which exactly is kind of like part of the whole effect, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So there's kind of two parts to this for me. One is that when you're in that moment to work with your customers, it's really important to recognize your role within that chain of the customer experience. So that's huge. So in your case, um, obviously the people that you dealt with, you know, the staff, the frontline, they should have done a better job. But then you get a communication point, you get your little lifeline, then that really needs to deliver to compensate for the crap that you got beforehand. And that, that experience is a terrible one. My view is that A, that has to be perfect. That experience has to be perfect. Doesn't matter who you're dealing with, everyone in your organization, and this is just not a marketing thing, this is in general. Everyone's an ambassador to your organization. Everyone can make a difference. The second part, kind of going back to sort of marketing and maybe even team structure a little bit, is that I'm really passionate about client marketing, or you could call it customer marketing, whatever you want, whatever verbiage you want to use in your team. You said customer but, or client marketing? Yeah, I call it client marketing. That's what uh, we, we construct it in our term, and that's what I've had it in previous ones as well. Because what I want to do is I want to get to the customer before that. I want to proactively give them things. Like you want to react well in the moment. Absolutely. We all know those experiences in our, in our personal lives or even professional lives where it just wasn't that good. And we don't forget those, by the way, as you know. Right. But I also want to get in front of them. I want to start creating an experience from the start so that they feel that they're engaged well before an issue happens. Because when something happens, and especially, you know, then you're at the point where you go into Twitter, it's too late, right? Like your brand is already tarnished a little bit in your view and totally. anyone that follows you. So client marketing can help 
create some level of engagement in the front of that, but it can also start creating a perception of who this organization is that I'm working with. It's not just like I'm in software, right? So it's not just the implementation of the partner team. It's not just the support desk. Um, it's actually here, we're telling you, here's what all your peers are doing. Here's the awards that some of your fellow clients won using this platform, which is an example we like to use. Here's, you know, pick your poison in terms of here's the features, the business outcomes, the value, yeah. the capabilities, the new module, whatever. There's a whole package of things. But I generally like to make sure that we're talking about business outcomes and not ourselves because no one likes people that talk about themselves. We don't like it yeah. at dinner. We don't like it. I mean, I fly a lot, so I hate it when the person beside me and starts talking about everything they do. And I'm just like, look, I got a book. Leave me the hell alone. <laughs> you know, like we know those experiences, right? Especially no one likes that. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. So you want to be able to talk about things that matter to your customers in addition to be, you know, responding in the moment. So as I love content and I love thought leadership, I'm equally passionate about client marketing because it gives you that avenue to help curate that client experience and to create an impression that we actually give a shit about you. We care about what you like affects you, how you want to drive your business. Like, you know, we're in, basically I work with CFOs. We work with CFOs and their teams like treasury and FP&A and all sorts of fun groups sure. like that who are amazing individuals. They have like business needs. Like when something like, you know, Silicon Valley bank happened you know, a couple months ago, most of our clients weren't affected because we have big clients. They don't really didn't do a lot of business with that particular platform. But the few that did, we wanted to make sure, hey, we understand that you got this problem. You need to, in the moment, figure out how much cash do I have at this bank that just went belly up? And what do I do about it? Those are the sorts of things that people need in that moment. You want to basically, in advance, be able to tell them, here's what this looks like. Because there's more banking issues that are going to happen at some point. I want to make sure that every one of our clients understands you have real-time visibility in your catch, which is what we do. You have real-time accessibility to payments so that snap of a finger, you can get your money the hell out of wherever it needs to get out of and into somewhere that's more aligned to your organization's principles for investments. These are the sorts of things that matter. Customers want to know that. They don't want to have to go, oh crap, what do I do now? Well, let's call whoever we need to call and try and figure it out. They'd love to know proactively what that experience looks like. So I want to talk in things that matter to them rather than saying, hey, we got this wonderful new model. You should buy it. Right. Probably yeah. not that bluntly, but <laughs> still, like that's if that's what they're getting, because you know, we're all smart people. We know when we're being sold. I don't want to be yeah. sold to. I want someone to say, hey, from your marketing issues, I you know, heard you on Casey's podcast and it was amazing. So what I want to do is be able to help you with this thing you talked about with client marketing. Someone gets in my inbox like that, probably just set myself up for something there, but <laughs> someone gets in my Give inbox like second, that, yeah. I'm, probably, I'm probably reading it. Um, yeah. I read, God knows, like half a percent of what gets in, of what comes in. You know, right. most of it goes to spam on intentionally. I don't have time to read a thousand emails a day. Maybe 500 yeah. is pushing it. So that's the sort of thing that you want to be in a position where you're talking language that matters to your end user. Dude. Uh, so good. The, the re giving them, giving them terms that they can not only understand, but know that it's about them. The way you're talking about them is about them. You're not talking about them on the plane. 
and you're you're expressing that you give a shit about them at the same time. It's things they want to hear, things that are helpful, and things that convey I care. I'm I'm in this for you. I'm not in this for my module, my my widget. Um, yeah, it's totally true. Like, there's a, a, a not to belabor the point too much, but yeah, no. My first CEO, like, so when I was out of school, my very first job in tech, which I loved enough to stay in, and he was like customers first actually clients first was a specific saying clients first always and he had a rule which he probably didn't invent but i thought he did because he was amazing and it was just the daylight rule make sure that before <laughs> before the sun goes down you've responded to every client no matter who you are where you are in the business always and that i mean i was young and impressionable at the time but it stuck with me and i still remember it to this day and i still in basically make sure my team lives by those values because that's your mission is to make sure that your clients are successful. I love that. I'm definitely going to use that. You call it the date daylight, the daylight rule, daylight rule. So, and you can, there's, I've heard different versions of it. I've heard people call it sundown rule, which is basically the same thing, different words. Um, you could say the 24 hours, which doesn't have the same ring to it. And in fairness, 24 hours, especially when you're working in multiple time zones, may not actually work nearly as well because you may totally miss uh, who sure. you're actually trying to get back to. But I like it as a daylight rule. As long as there's daylight, like or when there's not daylight, that means it's too late. See, I was going to rename it the Bob Stark Corollary, you know? Yeah, that's also legit. Yeah. <laughs> Well, well, hey, you mentioned the, the marketing issues. What would you, and here I'm going to open you up to some really good targeted messages, but what would you say are the challenges? Like you've got some great alignment. You've got some, the KPIs. What would you say is like a, is an existing challenge that you're actively working on? Well, there's a lot. I mean, my focus always is that if you're standing still, I mean, just give up and leave. Like there's, there's no right. point, right? Like you can't just keep doing the same shit day after day, week after week, et cetera. There has to be a progression because right. the way the buying cycles work, doesn't matter what industry you're in, there's progression, everything evolves. And so you have to do that as well. So we're in constant transformation mode, always. And sometimes some things are longer tail. Like you wanted, as an example, we just completely rebuilt and transformed our web strategy last year, where you know, the start of that is firstly build a website. Um, you need one that actually is a little, we'll call it a little bit more scalable and a little bit more optimized for global because yeah. we're a multi-language, multi-geographic company. And then once you build that framework, if you will, it's such a cliche term, I'm going to go with it anyways. <laughs> then you're basically redesigning in your entire SEO strategy, your entire content strategy. Everything is based on that. So when I'm looking at challenges, one thing that I'm always focused on is how are we creating a buyer journey digitally because we're post-COVID, so no one really wants to meet in person the same degree they did before. You don't get nearly the same impact in live events like you used to. So you have to recognize that this is a digital buying experience. You may meet them somewhere along the way, but the reality is, is that before they talk to you, they've researched you. After they talk to you, they're still researching you. Make sure that that experience online in terms of like sequentially is the way that you want it to be. Make sure that they're clicking in the places you want them to, to see. Make sure they're finding everything so that you're actually able to extend that web journey 
not as a visit because a visit, I mean, you, you can't even rely on those numbers half the time. I mean, forget, you know, old Google Analytics versus GA4. I mean, the kind of stuff where you probably do it as well as I do, Casey, is that <laughs> I, I click on a browser, you know, someone sends me a link or there's something and I look at that. I'm like, oh, that looks really interesting. And I look, take a look. And then I open it and I leave it on my tab. And I'm like, if it's open on one of my 20, I don't go more than that usually, browser right. windows, um, you know, tabs that are open. If it's there, I'm going to get to it at some point this week. Yeah. It's there, right? Like, I'm not losing totally. it. Totally. But that obviously that, you know, screws with your web metrics completely because you're like, wow, time on site. So oh, long. 24 really hours. This guy's reading yeah. everything. Exactly. But yet he only bounced through two pages. What's going on here? Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, these are the sorts of things that you have to be able to think yeah. about. What is that? What does that buying experience really look like? And there's different people that are going to look at different things. You need to understand that journey. So if you're marketing to the CMO, as an example, lots of us are, that CMO journey means that you have to assume that they're going to have a limited amount of time. They're going to look at whatever link, not probably your homepage, although they might actually come through the front door, but they're probably going to click on something that was sent to them. And they're going to look for probably very early in the page, what else should I look at in the three minutes that I'm going to spend on this particular organization? And that's usually what my attention span is. You could argue a lot less and my team will probably say it's a lot less. But the yeah. fact is, is that you have this very curated experience for your marketing executives. But that said, if you're trying to hit the user, then you probably have a much wider array of information needs to be put in there. And so that's the kind of stuff that, that I look for when I'm trying to solve something is that if I'm looking for, let's just say, I'll, I'll just give a fun problem, like a really detailed one. If you look at from website, right, you look at uh, translations. So many organizations out there, you know, they use WordPress or something similar to it and they'll have their English site. Sure. Or American or Canadian or something like that. And then they'll have their other sites. And if they probably move from subdomain to subfolder, because that's really a smarter way to do it. But yep. then they get into content translation. How do I keep these darn things in sync? How do I make sure that my content, when I put it out a press release or an ebook or something like that, how do I make sure it goes from English to Italian into German into Spanish and Japanese? It's not just simultaneously, but so that the buying experience is either the same or it's just different enough to be localized for, hey, how Japanese consume content versus how English or the English gosh, uh, for American or Canadian or UK or something like that. Right. Those are the sorts of things that you're gonna, you have to find a way to do that automatically. There's no great tools that I've seen. Obviously, Q people coming into my inbox are like, wait a second, I have a solution for this. Hey, but hey. I haven't seen one that actually outside of basically uh, just using a chat GPT script that can basically yank stuff out, translate, and then put stuff back in. So at least you have that part dealt with. Th those are sorts of little business problems that I'm looking to routinely find ways to make it a more efficient experience to run a global website. So that's yeah. like a small thing within a grander thing, which is the grander objective is that I want a consistent web experience. So if someone's coming in, whether they're basically, you know, American English, UK, English, Italian, by the way, not yeah. the same, but Italian, True. German. True. Um, I like want these them to have a These are Zs down here in the United States. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, as a Canadian, I kind of have that. <laughs> we'll call it foot in both places, but it's, you want that to be similar 
um, in a way that that individual, especially if they're multilingual, they can feel that, oh, yeah, I'm going to read this in English. Ooh, that's super technical. I'm going to switch to my native language, which is German, that it's the same thing. And yeah. you didn't suddenly just get out of sync because, oof, well, it's hard to translate things to German and keep that up to date. That's the sort of things that I don't say struggle with, but that's one that takes a bit of energy and took a lot of thinking when we had to redesign our, our web strategy last year. It, it really just goes to show you, it's, it's nice to say that we've added X language to the site, but that incurs an ongoing cost. Then every time we make future changes, now we've got this localization that's occurring. And, and to your point, it's not an automatic button that just... I love to see the magic button. The magic, yeah. you know what, actually, I don't say it's a magic button. It's not yet a magic button. I welcome anyone's input, by the way, that makes this into a magic button. Sure. We use ChatGPT for our translations. We used to use agencies. Um, we then switched to a tool called Deeple, which actually I love a lot. But we found ChatGPT was just a little bit easier for us. And it's, you know, it's public facing stuff. So we didn't really have any privacy concerns about large language models. So we use that for our translations. And we have a process where basically it just allows you to semi-automate um, to the point where it gets validated by an individual, which is smart because let's face it, you know, no matter who's translating, you need someone technical like in your business to be able to go, that's a stupid word, use that one instead. Uh, so right, that's there, the There point. needs to be that little bit, right? Because the, yeah, because you could, you could wind up saying hot dog instead of P&L or something. <laughs> Which would be kind of funny, actually. It but, would be kind of funny. <laughs> but anyway, but because most people are like, oh, this company's awesome. They talk about hot dogs. But, <laughs> I, but in reality, yeah, you have to validate and that makes sense. But it's the how you validate and how much pain and, and attention that is. So right. I like to have, like, for us, I like to have our local users look at it in the site as opposed to like in a Word or Google Doc. And so it's that sort of thing where we need to create a process that's super simple and easy so that the multitude of pieces of content, like we put out hundreds of things, you know, every quarter. Um, like, so it's a fair bit. And these are like, not just blogs, but you know, eBooks and all sorts of other fancy things that yeah. take a lot of words. We want to make sure that everyone has access to that so that we're not favoring a certain aspect geography or, or funneling lead generation in a certain way. Because otherwise, if we had half the content for Italy that we do for France, then we're creating a disproportionate you know, table setting that is right. very, very difficult to then understand, well, how come that region is performing lesser than the other? Is it because <laughs> we have a crappy content strategy that's not deploying globally? I mean, how do you know? Let's not, let's not introduce new variables that we don't have to. Let's make things simple and easy. Right. At least if the content is, is close to one-to-one, -one, at least, you know, <laughs> wouldn't that be horrible to find out that uh, the only reason the poor team and, you know, in some country is, is not doing as well as because we just didn't translate, you know, enough of that late stage content for them. But that, I mean, it's a real concern oh, yeah. to make sure it's taken care of. Well, it's, I think most people, like most people listen to this are going to go, yeah, been there. Cause it's not, yeah. it's not easy. And then you've got the added, we'll call it entertainment value of what about localized content? What about yeah. the local flavor? Like one of my favorite markets, in fact, actually my favorite business city of all to, to ever travel to is Tokyo. I love Japan. I do too. I love yeah. Japan and I love the Japanese markets. And I really like the, you know, the organizations we work with there because they deal with things in a very methodical way. 
And right. they also have a certain way that they'll react to and engage with your content, which is very different than Americans, which, you know, ironically are different than Canadians too, despite mm. the fact that we share many things. That localization, you have to take that into account to a certain point. So if you're doing a white paper, that white paper is probably going to be a little bit different, maybe not right. too different, but that blog better be different between what you're saying. Like you think, you know, here in the States, say here in the States and in Canada, but same difference for this conversation. <laughs> Close enough. So yeah, you know, it gets skewered for saying same difference, but, but true. in true. terms of what we're talking about for, for this is that from a blog standpoint, you know, there's like, Hey, I'm going to educate you with thought leadership. And then boom, I'm going to hit you with doom and gloom because damn it, you're going to lose your freaking job if you don't get this shit right. That's right. the sort of, you know, that works because I read stuff. I'm like, oh, that's really nice to know. I feel educated now. And that is that going to make me buy something? Is that going to make me double down on that, you know, uh, research in that organization or maybe even going forth and get into a buying cycle? Probably not. If you scare the crap out of me, yeah, I might engage with that a little bit more. And so as I'm going to call it North Americans, <laughs> we react to that and engage with that very differently than other markets where you just can't do that. It's not right. going to fly. And so you do have to have some level of localization. When I say things like translation, yeah, there's a translation solution. You can automate our semi-automation, 90% automate is pretty good for keeping this, our sites in sync. But we also, that validation level is also a localization or personalization mm -hmm. to that geography level where I have, it's not just anyone, it's literally my product marketing team in each region. They're the ones that are evaluating that in concert with demand generation. Demand gen is going to be able to look at that and go, that actually reads really well. This is the kind of stuff. It aligns with SEO. We're good. And then our product team is like, ah, we need to make sure that we're speaking the language of our buyer. And this is right. the business problem that we need to make crystal clear that we're solving for them. So there's a partnership there. It doesn't need to be exhaustive. I and mean, when we're talking like, you know, a blog, a thousand words, this is like a 20 minute exercise combined sure. between two people to validate. It's not too much uh, for most organizations, but you do have to do that stuff because a literal translation, yeah, you could say hot dog instead of PNL, but <laughs> a, a good literal translation still may miss context or opportunities to align to what the buying audience really would care about and how they engage with you. Because at the end of the game, engagement is absolutely what matters. I, you know, we talked about KPIs before. I really look at, I don't look at impressions too much at the top of funnel. Like, you know, we have a decent media strategy. We get published in, in some cool places, get on TV sure. and stuff like that sometimes. So our like UVMs are through the roof. Like you can almost argue we can make a billion if, depending if we have some really good data reports out. So what it's that, you know, that just makes the funnel look something ridiculous like this. And what we really need is to ensure that there's an engagement, that we have that following that advocacy, because that's the stuff that you can convert into yeah. something in a pipeline, or this is my favorite part, the influencing of others that might get into the pipeline. Hey, I don't need this, but I heard that this organization is pretty damn good at this. You might want to take a look at them. And that's the kind of, I don't want to say viral because I'm in you know, finance, not a lot of viral going on in our world, but that's the sort of influence that can actually create some nice momentum. 
man, I feel like we we can do a whole another show on on geo on probably on content too. I don't know. So I'll, I'll start writing up a list. I'll send you later for a, a, all the different shows we'll do, have to do together to, to cover this. Uh, my next question really is like, who are you? Did, did you know that you were going to be a marketing leader? Like, like little Bob, did, did he know he was going to be, you know, doing trans, you know, managing the translations across multiple geos and marketing and content. I mean, take me back in time. <laughs> well, we go way back in time. As a Canadian, I was, I thought, I'm going to be a hockey player. And then I realized I was growing up on the West Coast and I realized that you can't skate outside. So that wasn't going to happen. It's uh, not cold enough? No, it's not cold enough. I mean, huh. climate change has made it a little bit easier, like once a year where I can actually skate on the lake across from my oh, house. Sure. But, um, so my kids actually have had that privilege that I never had growing up. But in reality, hockey wasn't going to happen. I'm five foot 11. And these days that, I mean, even back in the day, that wasn't quite big enough to make an impact. And it, yes, it's so crazy to think now. about. Yeah, exactly. And obviously basketball and football were an option. So I, let's just, we put the sporting aside for a little bit, end up going to school for marketing and finance. Yeah. And I was really lucky. Like I, I went to a school called Simon Fraser in Vancouver, outside Vancouver. And they had this, at the time, a bit new age was this co-op program, basically internships speak American, but it was a co-op. So it was basically paid internships. You had to do four of these terms throughout your, your, your school. And I got to work with basically what we're now fintechs, obviously I'm old. So fintechs yeah. didn't exist that word, but I got to work with, you know, biotech. I got to work with one that was Damn. specifically financial software. I basically just worked in the tech side and figured out this is cool stuff. So I got super lucky through the connections I made in that to land a job that was basically financial software in marketing. And I thought, oh, wow. marketing, check. Finance, because God knows I check. spent enough time figuring out how to price derivatives that I'm like, wait a second, I can do both these things together. This is awesome. And that industry is actually the one that I'm still in. So wow. except for one year where I just started to take a starter CMO job, just to understand how that worked at a much smaller company, you know, kind of like yeah. a starter marriage, you get a starter CMO job, sure, right. everyone to do it. Um, <laughs> I've stayed in, in treasury, like specifically treasury is a subset of finance technology wow. on the marketing side, different roles, you know, everything, you know, as we were baby organizations, sometimes it'd be much more like still content, product marketing. Um, focus on sales enablement, which I think I'm very passionate about that being really, really important to tie high level marketing prop into actual sales execution. But that was the trajectory is that just continued building, looking for experiences for good or for bad. The little company that I joined way back when, 25 years ago, got acquired by a very large organization and then got moved around within that very large organization. And so as a result, I got different experiences, different viewpoints without ever, ever having to quit my job. Wow. Generally, you kind of have to you know, move to get those right. experiences. Sure. And I was lucky enough that I really only had to quit my job uh, once to come to the organization now at, which is Kariba. And then one, then one time at Kariba, I gave my notice to take my, my starter CMO job. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I boomeranged back because in fairness, I learned a lot of the key things that I I'd been missing. I'd been much focused on product marketing and content marketing, sales enablement, more like the go-to market, but not really as much the digital side and the lead generation side. And I felt that was a missing opportunity. Right. Um, just like when I took roles doing sales and doing that um, for several years as well, because I felt 
These are building blocks that you really need to understand. You can't manage a team for lead generation and demand gen if you don't, if you haven't done it. You can't right. actually tell salespeople, no, here's what you do if you haven't been in their shoes and sold. And that credibility plays through. So uh, for me, I mean, the, the simple way I look at it is that you have to be able to establish credibility in order to tell people what to do. And if you want to try and convince them of something they're not sure they want to agree with, or you want to try and convince them, no, this is the way, very Mandalorian, then you right. have to have lived in those shoes. You have to be able to bring something to the table. And otherwise, they're just going to go, ah, oh, you don't know. You haven't done that. Right. And my response is, yeah, I have. And that allows a rapport that makes it very much of a collaborative engagement. So I work with sales on an even footing. They don't, sales yeah. doesn't tell marketing what to do. Marketing tells sales what to do, but in a collaborative way that works for what they need. So Sick. there's a longer answer there, but I think in terms of the short one, there's a lot of different building blocks. There's different ways to do it. You don't want to stay at an organization too long. You can get stale. You also don't want to stay in a role too long without building the blocks that experience that ultimately makes you an effective CMO. And I think there's a lot of different ways, larger than pads, but one I took seemed to work out all right so far. And Man. I think I was old before. I'm young. So in fact, there's still more. To Super young. Yeah. It's that, it's that Vancouver era keeping you young. Bob, thank you so much for coming on here. I literally could talk to you for hours about these things. Um, and you know, when I look at the clock, I'm like, where, where the hell did the time go? This is, this has absolutely been a great conversation. Thank you so much for coming on here. Yeah. Thanks Casey for the opportunity. I love the podcast and I can't wait to listen to more of them. Yeah. Yeah. And with you on it too, of course. And for those listening, if you learned something and I freaking know you did, cause I literally have two pages of notes over here front and back, then share this with someone else. One person, 9,000 people, three people, whatever, but put your take on it. That's thought leadership And with that, Bob. Thank you again, sir. Thank you, Casey. Appreciate it. All right, everyone. This has been another crazy episode of the hardcore marketing show. We will see you all next time.